In this episode of the AMSC podcast, we have a special guest joining us, the author of ADP and ADRP 6.0, Mission Command. Mike Flynn, a doctrine writer at the Combined Arms Doctrine Directorate right here at Fort Leavenworth, sits down and discusses his perspective on Mission Command with David Howey. Welcome to this episode of the Army Management Staff College podcast, and today we've got uh, a gentleman named Mr. Mike Flynn, who is a doctrine writer from the Combined Arms Doctrine Directorate uh, right here at Fort Leavenworth, and today we're going to talk about Mission Command, and so Mike, just welcome to the podcast. We're really glad to have you today. Well, it's great to be here. Excited about this conversation. All right. Well, let's jump right into it. First, I just want to ask you just generally, basically, big picture, what is Mission Command? So so that's a great question. And we have, uh, you know, you have a doctrine answer for what is Mission Command. There's a definition. Um, but if you went into a room and you kind of asked someone, what is Mission Command? Um, folks will come. There'll, there'll be a lot of different ideas. It's a leadership style. It's a culture. It's a way of conducting operations. Um, it's a philosophy of command. So there's lots of different kind of ideas associated uh, to, to the word mission command. And I would say what, you know, those, those examples I just gave are all part of mission command. Um, and, and I can see how they all would fit. But the definition um, and, and kind of how we explain it we, in, in doctrine is that mission command is a philosophy of command. It's how one commands in operations. I think that's kind of important because the definition originally started with how would you command in operations as opposed to other uh, places where you command like in garrison. So one I'm sure we'll talk about, one of the questions is then if, if mission command was about commanding in operations in battle, you know, how would it apply to say commanding or just leadership, uh, good leaders in, in other environments? And is it does does it apply in other environments other than on the battlefield? You know, I I think it does, and um, but I and I know you're you're probably going to get to this, but one of the questions we got to ask is, you know, why why did we have mission command? And so it was based off, you know, mission command was based off this idea um, that in battle um, things are very uncertain, very unpredictable. Um, chaotic, friction, kind of how Clausewitz explained it. And so if you're in this environment, what would be the best way to command forces? And, you know, you got a couple choices. You could spend a lot of time trying to predict and get more information and try to counter uncertainty with trying to, you know, get a better understanding of things. Or you could embrace that this is going to happen, and so I need to act in this, in these conditions of uncertainty, and I need to act quicker than the enemy. And so, in that case, what's the best way to do it? Well, probably I need to empower my subordinates at lower echelons because they probably have a better understanding of the situation at their, you know, their particular spot. So, how would I empower them to act? And then that would create a tempo. And so, that's kind of like this idea of why we have mission command. So, the question is, does this apply in other? other situations. And so in a sense, yes, because, and we'll get to this, I'm sure too, but the principles of mission command, I think apply to just good leadership, 
build trust, build teams, provide good intent, those type of things. The principles would apply to anyone. Um, but then I would just say there's sometimes in a management setting that you do need to be very detailed. You, you need control, uh, and it's not the same situation. So I think a lot of the principles would apply. Um, and so overarching, yes, mission command would apply in both settings, but they're different. They're different settings. And there's nothing wrong. A lot of, we hear a lot of guys complain, you know, I was in Iraq, had free reign to do a lot of things. I come back to garrison and I have all these rules about range control and trying to get a range. That's anti-mission command. Why? I don't know if that's true. I mean, it's a different environment. We need to have controls uh, in which, you know, there's certain, you know, people need to be at a range at a certain time. We got to schedule it. So, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is in some settings, you know, this idea of, of control is not, you know, it's, it's necessary. And I wanted to uh, go back to a quote that was uh, drilled into our heads when I was uh, a young second lieutenant back in the 1980s that Patton uh, is, a, this quote's attributed to Patton, and uh, it was on a poster at Fort Knox. I remember we saw it all the time. And the quote is, uh, never tell people how to do things Tell them what to do, and they will surprise you with their ingenuity. And that, I just remember seeing that. And when I started hearing this idea of, of mission command, I always go back to that quote. So can you just talk about how a quote like that, uh, how is that connected to the Army's current vision of, of mission command? Well, I, I mean, I think that's a perfect quote that embodies some aspects of mission command. And we are writing, we are revising ADP 60 Mission Command and also 50. And so we've been doing a, a lot of research lately. And uh, so I just got done reading Patton's memoirs. And, and I recognize that, that quote. Yeah, it, it, it embodies this idea of uh, one of the principles of Mission Command is mission orders. And so the idea is that in the military, we need to be somewhat competent. So everyone is at a certain level of competence. And with that, with our training and education system, we have a certain trust that, that, that you're competent. And then if I believe that you're competent, then, then I can give you broad instructions and not tell you how to do it. So that's this, and, and this has been in Army for a long time, the idea of uh, provide task but then the purpose of why you're doing the task, and that is generally more important than the task itself, because if the situation sh changes, we want to get at the purpose of why we're doing it, not necessarily the task. And I think that's a little bit uh, of, of what Patton's is saying. And then just trusting that folks are going to try to do their best, and since they're at the, they're at the, the point of the spear, if you will, they're at the situation, they could probably figure it out a little better than you. And then, you know, just a simple example, you know, if I was a plans officer, you know, there was a battalion, a couple battalions in an attack, there's two choices. I can, well, there's many choices, but we could draw a route, a very prescriptive way of getting to the objective, or we can draw an arrow, a broad approach, and let the battalion kind of figure out the best way to do it. And I think that's kind of what Patton was saying, and that's one of the principles of mission command is using mission orders. And you, you use the word uh, purpose. And to, there's, a, there's another, it's one of the uh, pieces of Mission Command, which is intent. And how are purpose and intent related to one another? You know, a lot of times the word intent 
gets it's almost a, a synonym, I think, with purpose. But but on doctrinally, you know, we have we have the commander's intent. So the commander's intent kind of is this broad idea. So it gets back to what Patton's quote again is we're pri- we're providing broad direction. We've stated the commander stated the end state of the operation, so we all kind of understand what is the vision of the end, and then some key tasks that are saying you know in order to get the to the end, there's a couple things, a couple key things the force as a whole must do, and and then kind of the commander articulates kind of a broader purpose of why we're doing it. So that's kind of commander's intent. But then part of mission orders is when you give subordinates instructions, you give them their task and their purpose. So there's a relationship there. Um, individual tasks have a purpose, which is kind of like the intent for doing this specific task that would then ultim- uh, ultimately be related to the commander's intent. So I think kind of that's, that's how both of those are related. And there's a, there's a passage in uh, ADRP 6.0 that uh, I wanted to read and just talk about why this matters for mission command. And here's the passage. The unpredictability of human behavior affects military operations. Commanders face thinking, uncooperative, and adaptive enemies. They can never predict with certainty how enemies will act or react or how events will develop. Even the behavior of friendly forces is often uncertain because of the effects of stress, mistakes, chance, or friction. And this word friction comes up again uh, you talked about earlier, but that entire quote t- talks about the human side. And so how how is this human unpredictability related to uh, the necessity of having a philosophy such as mission command? So that kind of passes, if you, and, and it's, I don't know if we did it, but quite a great job of summarizing Clausewitz, but I mean, if you go to on, on war and, and, and the nature of war, that's kind of Clausewitzian kinds of talk, or, or you can read Mulkey's works. So a lot of people, especially Western forces, before you have a philosophy of how you're going to command and control or command operations, you kind of have to have a vision of what is war like. And so that passage is really trying to cover a synopsis of what is what is combat like? And the idea that we're trying to portray is, is that it is very uncertain. And why is it uncertain? Is because it's a human endeavor, first and foremost. So it's two people or two forces, humans, opposing human wills, each trying to, you know, beat the other guy. And so it's very dynamic. Then there's things like weather, terrain, uh, and then friction. I mean, I'll give a bad order, or you misinterpret the order, and I or I took a wrong turn, creating all this chaos on the battlefield. So that is kind of a description of of the nature of operations. Now, there's counter views to that. Some militaries may think there is perfect order. I wouldn't want to say perfect, but you have more order to the battle, and you could then take a more scientific approach to operations. The Soviets, for example, had all the tables that said, if I have this if this type of force and this is the situation, if I wanted to destroy that force, they have quick uh, you know, uh, tabulations they could do on the amount of artillery that would be shot, et cetera, et cetera, which may be a different approach because of the predictability, the belief that war is more predictable. And so that passage is important because we're just trying to set up what is the armies based on our experience view of the nature of war. And so 
if you believe that's the view, then what do you do about it? What is the best way in which commanders, leaders, and staff, and soldiers operate in that environment? And so that's why we have the philosophy of mission command. And I, I know uh, when I was an observer controller at the National Training Center back in the early 90s, there was a lot of, at the orders briefings, a lot of this is supposed to happen or this is going to happen. And then in the after action reviews, a lot of those things didn't happen. And it was, it was, a, it was human, uh, it was the intercession of humans that caused things not to happen the way specifically that they were quote unquote supposed to happen. Because people get tired, people sure. misunderstand. As I've, I've heard, uh, quote unquote, the enemy has a vote. I sure. used to hear hear that said. Why did the army decide to use this phrase, mission command, to describe this style of leadership or this way of of operating on the battlefield? Why is that the the phrase? So I'll I'll try to answer this because um, I think I do have a little bit of history. What's interesting, a lot of folks that think that the word mission command came out in like 2010, 2011, where we actually had a whole book. We had FM60 that was published in 2003. And the title of that book was called Mission Command, colon, Command and Control of Army Forces. So that's when really you see a, de- a doctrinal definition of mission command and the term hitting the army. Now, we say back at CAD, we joke a little bit, that's one of the best books that was never read. Because what happened right around then, we had 9-11 in 2001, and then Iraqi freedom happened in 2003. That's when the book came out, and people were really, really busy. So I think it's the lost book. But it's a really good book, uh, and, and my mentor was kind of the ones that put it together. But then why did we have that book? Well, if you look in Army Doctrine at the time, there was really no doctrine on command and control by itself. Um, and uh, you did have a little bit in, you know, FM30, and you had battle command, if we remember those words, but you had some ideas, but there wasn't a comprehensive doctrine on command and control and what would be the philosophy for it. Some armies had it, the Brits had it. Actually, the United States Marine had a great, uh, Marine Corps had a great book. Um, and so we started looking uh, at some words, and, and this was a little bit before my time, but Bill Connor was the guy that was researching this. But the Marines used the term mission tactics. The, and then doing history, you know, the Germans, which is mission command is associated a little bit with the word Aufstrogtaktik. Um, and, and so there was a couple words, but there was actually a deliberate decision, why would you pick mission command? And so uh, the idea was, First and foremost, we're talking about command. So the root word is command. This is going to get to, can leaders do mission command or only commanders? And we kind of talked about, I think leaders can do it. But first and foremost, it was all about how do you command? So command was the root word, and then mission was the style in which you would do it. And so since there was some similar terms out there, um, that's, I think, how we came to the word mission command. But I think it's important, the idea of command uh, to emphasize that, you know, the military is one of the only organizations, and this is, you know, kind of universal, that has the authority. That's what's different between just normal management. You have the uh, commanders have the lawful authority to direct action, to punish, to reward, to do all those things. And so it's the authority of command 
And then how are you going to, what's your philosophy to do it? Now that should permeate across the whole force. And so, as I said before, the various principles would apply to, I mean, any good leader would want to build trust and have good intentions and, and promote teamwork and shared understanding. All those things I think apply. But when we chose that word initially, it was the emphasis of command and the authority which commanders have. And then the word mission kind of represented the style. And that's and we've already kind of talked about is why would you have that style? And you talked about how the German army had there this this concept had been associated with the German army going back uh, 150 years back into the the mid 19th century, and um, you used a, a term uh, Alftrog's tactic, uh, if I'm saying that correctly. And uh, you talked about von Moltke a little bit earlier, and there I found a quote by him. It says, uh, diverse are the situations under which an officer has to act based on his own view of the situation. It would be wrong if he had to wait for orders at times when no orders can be given, but productive are his actions when he acts within the framework of his senior commander's intent. And it's necessary that subordinate headquarters recognize, recognize the object of what's been ordered uh, this enables them to strive for that object, even if conditions make it necessary to act differently from what has been ordered. What, the way I interpret that, and just tell me if I'm on track, is that there's, a, there's a, an intent, there's a general plan, but then conditions change, and we have to empower leaders on the ground to make decisions to do things differently uh, as long as they're acting within the intent of w whatever that original plan was. Is that, is that a good uh, way of, of explaining mission command philosophy? No, I, I, I think you're spot on on, on on explaining that. And that quote is, is like a perfect quote to try to get at some of the ideas of, of, of what we're, we're getting at. I'll share a quick story with you. Um, I was recently over in Armenia, and I was with the general staff of the Ar uh, Armenian Armed Forces. And one of the things that the reason why we were over there was they wanted to understand a little bit more about mission command and how that may help them. So the Armenians were part of, before the Soviet uh, uh, Union fell, they were a Soviet Republic, and they're very Russian-trained, Russian-based, Russian equipment, and they have a certain philosophy of, of how they conduct operations, which is pretty directive control, if you will, pretty much you know, obedience and compliance to orders, etc. And they wanted to ask about what is mission command. Well, the J-5 got up there and started to explain what he thought mission command was. And so he actually went to a, a, a vignette of the American Civil War. And I can't remember which battle it was, but basically it was this. One force, and I think it was a Confederate force, was withdrawing. And he ordered a division to guard uh, the withdrawal of the, the army. And this division was to guard at this location to, to not allow the enemy to cross the river as, as the, the Confederate forces were withdrawing. And so he explains the situation that gets back to the Mulkey quote. So the commander, the Confederate commander was there, but some of his scouts saw that 15 miles up the river, that's where the enemy was crossing. But he was told, hey, here's your position to block from and guard the army. But he saw that, and without orders, without instructions, 
he raced his force, his division uh, forward up there to where the crossing and stopped the crossing. So that's kind of, I think, what Mulk is getting at. And I think that is really the essence of command because we know we start writing a plan, but because the enemy has a vote, the terrain and weather, friction and all those things, it's not going to go according to plan. Plus, how would we know the intentions of what the enemy is going to do? We're just having assumptions. So your plan's got to be flexible enough to allow options, and then our subordinates got to have be empowered to make decisions based off the situation. So then what would you do? So here's another thing on mission command, which gets to a little bit about accepting risks. So in that scenario I just gave, the guy kind of took some risks because he's, in a sense, disobeying his order, but he's getting at the purpose, right, to, to block the enemy force. But what happens if he would have failed? So that's what the Armenians, all the Armenians started asking. Well, okay, so he basically violated orders, if you will, but, and it was successful, but what happens if he failed? And so that's a good question, and it gets to the whole idea of underwriting. You know, you, you got to empower guys with initiative, but sometimes you got to underwrite mistakes too. Some are learning points. Now, there's some things you don't want to unwrite, underwrite, like something illegal, or you completely violated the commander's intent. But there's some cases, especially in training, as you're trying to work this out, is you do have to sometimes underwrite some misjudgments, maybe by subordinates. And that, and that uh, ultimately. Uh, some of those times when when something do, we're trying to do the right thing, but it doesn't go uh, exactly the way we wanted it to, those sometimes can be some of the most powerful learning points sure. and develop uh, stronger officers because or stronger leaders because now they know what not to do. Now they know what what's not going to work. Sure. Okay. Talk a little bit about the two different and I'll I'll call them components. If that's not the right word, uh, tell me. But there's two different pieces of mission command. There's mission command as a leader philosophy, and then there's mission command as a as a war fighting function. And if, if I didn't get those terms right, just just tell me. But wh- why is there there that distinction, and and why is it important? So you could probably tell I'm a little bit of a storyteller. This might be a somewhat of a, a long answer, and then I'm also going to give you a little bit of opinion here too. Um, <clears throat> Before you had the mission command warfighting function, let's go back just to, you know, probably when me and you were lieutenants, um, we had the battlefield operating systems. Do you remember those? And the battlefield operating systems, one of them was command and control. And actually, when we went to the warfighting functions, we went from the battlefield operating systems to the warfighting functions in around 2010. So it's the warfighting functions are relatively new. But the idea was we would match the joint functions. And so originally it was the command and control warfighting function. Like I I, I said earlier, in 2003, we already had the term mission command, a philosophy for how you command or how you lead. So you already had this term out there, but it was the command and control warfighting function. Here's where I think we made it a little confusing, in my opinion, is we got a word that we're using to mean three things. So mission command is a philosophy and then we also use the same word mission command as a warfighting function. And to me, sometimes when you when you start, you know, having conversations, you're kind of asking, well, which one are you talking about? And there's a little bit of a difference, and I'll get to that. And then the third thing is we actually have a mission command system. So when you say the word mission command, a lot of times you you gotta look at someone, what are you talking about? So sometimes in a command post, for example, and they say, hey, let's talk about the mission command, uh, you know, warfighting function. 
And the first guy that gets up is the signal officer. And the signal officer is talking about communications and networks and those type of things, which is part of the mission command system, which is a part of the warfighting function. But the question might have been, you know, how are we talking about the commander's intent portion of it? So that's where I think like having the same word to mean a couple things might not be the best way to do it. But we have that. So what's the difference? So we already talked about the philosophy, but the warfighting function, and, and we kind of define a warfighting function as a grouping of tasks and systems for a reason, for a purpose. So we have the fires warfighting function, the movement and maneuver warfighting function, sustainment warfighting function. So then what is this mission command warfighting function? Well, the mission command warfighting function is a series of tasks, and those tasks are things like building teams, driving the operations process, those type of tasks. And then the mission command system, which is the command post, the networks, and all those things. So the task and the system, what is the purpose of the mission command warfighting function? That is to integrate the others. So, so here's a warfighting function that is specifically designed to pull together the various warfighting functions into operations. So that's where it comes back to the relationship to the commander. I mean, here's a whole a whole function that its purpose is to integrate sustainment with maneuver, fires, and intelligence, etc. So that's the mission command warfighting function. Did that get to your question? Uh, uh, that was a roundabout way of getting there. Absolutely. And the next thing I wanted to, to ask you about is you've talked about these a couple of times, but just lay out the the, the principles of mission command the, the leadership part of it, kind of each, what each one is and maybe a little bit about what each one means and why they're important. And I'm, I'm reading from my notes here, um, but we have six principles of mission command. We've got build cohesive teams through mutual trust. And so I'll probably just address each one real quick as we get it. So one of the ideas is this idea of trust. I think if we, you know, we've talked about the philosophy of mission command, so there does have to be a trust as a as say, I'm the superior and you're the subordinate, I, I need to trust you that you can work within my intent and you're competent and I, and I have that trust. And then you also have to trust me that I'm competent and, and, and you're going to allow and empower me to take action. And you're not going to quite second guess me if you empowered me to do those things. So there's a level of trust. And that trust leads to generally... Uh, building a, a cohesive team. So so that's almost like a prerequisite that, that is required to do this philosophy of mission command. But that takes time. And I'm sure we you, you teach it here at the school. I mean, you it takes so long to build trust, but you can break trust by one action. You know, and so this, this is a very difficult thing and it's in, in deal with command climate and those type of things. The other thing is is to create a shared understanding. And so as is, a principle, is that the second? that's the second principle, okay. create shared understanding. So the first one is cohesive teams through mutual trust. Correct. And then the second one is, is shared understanding. Right. So build shared understanding. And, and this is important with this idea of, of intent uh, or initiative of subordinates. So if we have a understanding of the overall operation and an understanding of the commander's intent and the purpose, it would be easier for folks subordinate units to make decisions within that framework. But you got to build that understanding. And so understanding doesn't necessarily come from top down. So there is some top down understanding, but it's also feedback from bottom up. And so there's got to be a lot of communication and collaboration. And then we like to write about is the idea of dialogue, is that there's a free exchange of information 
and ideas, and that's important, the word ideas of how to do things or what might be better between commanders and subordinates and staff. And that exchange is, is helpful. We're not just sitting here, you know, directing from the top down. So this idea of trying to build a shared understanding of the situation and the purpose of the operation is a second principle, which, you know, would enable you then to take the initiative and act. The third principle is provide a clear commander's intent. And I think we've talked about that one already. The intent serves as that, that guide. So we've talked about plans and, 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 you know, the plans will not, you know, once you make contact with the enemy, kind of the plan is going to change. Well, the intent is serves as that guide. So how am I going to act when things change? Well, we try to act within the commander's intent. So that's why commander's intent, providing a clear commander's intent that folks at least two, da two down from you can understand, provides this guide for which you can take initiative, which is the fourth principle, exercise disciplined initiative. And so that idea, and we gave that example <clears throat> of the Confederate uh, situation where that, that general took the initiative there. But it's interesting, we wrote exercise disciplined initiative. And so we always get the question, what do you mean disciplined? Well, the discipline is tied to within the framework of the commander's intent and the overall purpose of the operation. So that's how that's nested. So now you're starting to see these principles. The idea is we want you to subordinates to take action, you know, at the point of decision within a framework of the commander's intent and shared understanding. So now you're starting to see a nesting of those principles. And then use mission orders. And, and missions order, mission order is basically kind of a style. I mean, we still have five-paragraph operations orders, and there's formats. But it's, mission order is more of a style of how you write it. Let's, and I think we talked about this already. Instead of telling folks how to do something, you know, provide the task and the purpose, the why. And then that gets back to if something, that's kind of like intentions, something's changed a little bit, I need to, accomplish the purpose of the task more than just accomplishing the task. You know, I might have been told to uh, seize Hill 111 to protect the flank of my sister unit. Well, we saw a situation where that's not making sense to seize Hill 111 in order to protect the flank. I got to do something different. And so that's where purpose comes in. And then finally, the idea of accepting risk. And this gets back to uncertainty and the nature of war. It's, it's very risky. And we could be sitting back, waiting for more information, waiting for perfect decisions. But there's a lot of other good quotes, like Napoleon says, I found, and I'll get this wrong, but basically said, I found, you know, the guy that pounds first normally wins. So this idea of action, you know, and accepting risk. So that's, that's the, the sixth principle of of mission command, all kind of tied together in a package. And I, I have to be willing, if I'm a leader, to uh, accept risk. The, the ri risk is throughout the whole process because the subordinate leader is accepting, is taking action, and there's risk involved that they, they may not, it may not turn out exactly perfectly. And the, the senior leader is accepting risk by trusting and things may not go exactly the, the way that they wanted. Uh, and it, I, I think it's amazing that the Army put that idea uh, of accepting risk uh, as, as part of the, the, the philosophy of mission command uh, because, of, because of those very reasons, because we have to be willing to take action when it's not guaranteed that everything's going to work out. But like you said, that quote from Napoleon uh, it's it's usually it's usually the first person 
who takes uh, audacious action that's successful. Just from my own cursory study of military operations, the wars are won uh, by going on the offensive and, and by taking, I'm, I'm reading a book now about the Korean War, about the uh, landing at Incheon, mm-hmm. uh, Operation Chromite. That, that was risky, but it, it, was, it was probably what was needed to, to generate some kind of, sure. uh, to generate initiative, to generate some kind of movement. You know, uh, you mentioned Korea is, uh, you know, part, I, I mentioned we're, we're revising 6-0 and 5-0. And uh, so we're doing a lot of research because we really want to change the way we write a little bit, add some vignettes and lots of quotes in those. So we're doing a lot of research for ideas. And that Inchon landing is a perfect example of, of kind of risk and then a discussion because a lot of people argue that MacArthur took a gamble. And so what's the difference between a risk and gamble? But that was a very successful operation, and, and, I th- and it was necessary to change the war around. And another part of our research in Korea was General Ridgway. And I would recommend if someone could read, you know, you want to read Generalship and, and Mission Command, uh, General Ridgway's memoirs and his book on Korea are absolutely outstanding of how he turned 8th Army around after the, the communists attacked. And that's a perfect, you know, example of, of kind of this philosophy of mission command and leadership um, as through General Ridgway, the 8th Army commander. And for uh, any of our listeners out there who don't know what we're talking about, uh, I find usually older people know and younger people have Google. So go type some of these phrases in and, and you'll find some, some rich military history uh, to read about. I wanted to ask you about a little bit about technology. Modern technology is, 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 is incredible, uh, and the military has some of the best technology to use command systems, things that when, when I was a younger officer, you know, we, we never would have dreamed of. How, how does the, the presence, the proliferation of, of technology on the battlefield necessitate a philosophy like mission command? How does it, and maybe how does it support it? There, there's a couple of ways to look at that. When, when I started, and I think probably we're in the same time frame, a lot of times when you were in a command post, most reports came up via voice uh, FM, and you recorded spot reports and salute reports and you know information that then was depicted on a map board, which you had a couple sergeants that were up on the map board that were depicting the enemy to situation. And a lot of the, the voice you could hear, and so people would be listening and hearing kind of what's going on, and that's how you kind of had the picture of the situation of, of what was going on. And then when you provided directives, a lot of times those directives were by voice, or written orders that were ran down to subordinates. Well, technology today is just absolutely fantastic. I mean, everything from space and and the and the information exchanges that can happen in computers. In a sense, there's two things I think we should think about in mission command. There is a, an ability for a seat like a division commander literally could look down because of information systems, look down at the platoon and company level and get involved in that. So you got to guard against that because, you know, why would you want to waste, I'm not saying waste your time, but it's not going to be very helpful because the division commander needs to be thinking forward and and in a couple days in advance, et cetera, instead of worrying about that. That that can uh, cause micromanagement. And it's, it's easy to fall into that trap right. when I can see down to that level. 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I but know. I mean that's 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 one thing that I think you probably need to guard against. But but here's here's another aspect I think of all this technology that affects us. So our adversaries, our enemies, know we have that technology and they know we rely on it. And so in the last 15 years, when we've been fighting wars in in Iraq and Afghanistan and some other places. Folks like Russia have really increased their capability because they've watched how we do things. And they, they, they look at how we use technology on how we command and control. And so their electronic warfare capability, their fires capability, and some other things make our command posts and, our, and, and cyber, cyber uh, capability makes our command posts and our information systems, et cetera, vulnerable. So now it gets to how does this relate to mission command? So if your systems go down... Well, we still got to act. So what serves as a guiding principle? So if you have a shared understanding and a broad intent and you've empowered subordinates to act because we're out of communication and we might not get communication back for some time, uh, but the fight's still going on. But we have a uh, we have a, a organization, units that are trained in this idea of mission command. And if you provide a clear intent, that's a way that this mission command is going to help you out. Because if you can constantly talk back and forth, I can say, hey, boss, you know, this has come up. This is what I, I'm going to do. And he says, Roger, I, you know, acknowledge, but do it this way. Mission Command gets the, into this idea of I'm out of communication. I, the subordinate, need to act now. But I need to act within the intent. So I think there's a relationship there of, of Mission Command, the philosophy of how it would apply in, in the settings of today with so much technology. Okay. And I, I wanted to ask. Uh, about how this this philosophy is used in other armies or, or other militaries around the world. You talked about the, uh, I believe it was the Armenians that you went and talked to. Um, what other militaries are either interested in this or is it is it used in in their uh, military doctrine? You know, I I would I think based off of my understanding and and, and relationship with other militaries is. Mission command is kind of fundamental, in, in, in a sense, with the Western armies. If you look at where this kind of started from, and, and American, American Army and Marine Corps has its own unique idea of what mission command is, but you can trace some things back to, and we mentioned kind of Clausewitz explaining the nature of war, and then you kind of had, it, it starts getting related to the Germans a little bit, Frederick the Great, kind of was in uh, instructions to his general and, and those type of things, kind of had some of these fundamental ideas and then jumped forward, you know, 50, 60 years to Mulkey. And, and I think really he really was the guy that kind of articulated the basic ideas of that. And then the, the, the other armies kind of have similar ideas to that. The Brits, the Canadians, the Australians, um, the French, uh, the Germans, it's kind of a similar idea, but we 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 have a, you know some different principles. But the bottom line is it's it's this idea of the understanding of how the nature of war, how war happens, and so what is the best way in which to command and control in that environment? And that is this idea of providing intent and empowering subordinates. And that that quote that you read earlier, this idea, it's a shame. It's not a shame, but not only did you not act. But you're kind of like required to act. That's expected of you. I know I didn't give you the order, but you saw the situation. So it's your obligation to act and make decisions. That's what we're, in a sense, paying you for to do. So, But I think there's a similarity in the Western armies. And I'm, there was another uh, philosophy that uh, was, was, was really popular 
when I first came in, it was a good decision made now is better than the perfect decision made later. And sometimes we just have to act now and take action on the best information we have and, and do the best we can and trust that we're, we're acting within the commander's intent. Uh, there's another quote, and I won't ask you to respond to this one, but I may not get it exactly right. It's, it was attributed, I believe, to a, a German officer who said something like, the American army is the most difficult to fight because they don't follow any of their doctrine. They kind of do their own thing on the battlefield. Sure. But we, one thing I've always thought about the United States Army, it's just going back for, for years and years, is we, we value education, we value development, uh, and we value uh, people who are willing to, to stand tall and take risks and, and do what's necessary with, without fear, without fear of the repercussions. I always think about Eisenhower, the, the letter that Eisenhower wrote before the D-Day landings, where he took full responsibility, didn't put it off on anybody else. I, I thought it was just, it's an amazing uh, representation of how the United States Army is, is, is so closely related, is so closely tied to this idea of, of personal leadership, personal responsibility for, for what you've done. And I think that to me, that's, that's a part of mission command, the idea that the, the person is responsible. They take action. They understand. They, they did the best they could to get the job done based on the situation. And we try to, we, in the United States Army, we try to honor people who have taken those kind of risks. Sure. And I think, you know, it's kind of tied to trust. And, and I think as an Army writ large, we're very professional. And, and, and we're proud of each other and we kind of trust each other. Um, and, and that creates this bond, which I think is, is special about our Army. I, I really want to thank you for uh, the conversation and for, for coming over here and, and talking to our audience, our podcast audience. And I just want to wrap this up with uh, what's the future of Mission Command? Where, where's it headed in the next six months, year, 18 months, uh, two to five years? And it's relationship with the United States Army? Well, I think the good thing about uh, this latest batch of Mission Command doctrine that came out in 2012 is everyone's talking about it, and there's, uh, there's, there's excitement. There is a little bit of confusion, I think, in the field a bit about kind of what is this, and, and we'll hear, like, uh, for example, if someone provides direction and, 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 and supervision, all of a sudden that is anti-mission command and, and micromanagement, but that is necessary. Trying to, you know, understanding the appropriate level of control to establish is, is just a necessary thing of command. And so we'd like to, so we're revising our uh, manual right now, 6.0, and what we want to do is just kind of clean it up a little bit of some of those, for example, uh, antidotes I, I mentioned to you is, is try to just clean up and be a little more clear how we write it, um, so might it would be a little bit more understanding. And then the other thing, uh, and as you noticed, I've used the word command and control several times in this discussion, where actually when we wrote in 2012, we kind of said command and control is out. Uh, as, as a word, if you will, for Army Forces, that you'd use the word mission command. But what we're trying to do in this next book is we're, we're bringing the word command and control back to Army doctrine and saying, hey, listen, no matter what Army you're in, there's a requirement that you command and control forces, and that's just neutral. 
It's not good or bad. You just have to command and control. So how are you going to command and control? And that gets back to the philosophy. And so there's just a couple things to clean up, if you will, uh, try to make uh, mission command doctrine more understandable. But what's good is it seems to be a topic of discussion all across our army. And so that's good. Uh, the emphasis of, of the CAC, the TRADOC leadership, and the chief of staff of the army that really put a, a lot of emphasis on mission command. Okay. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mike Flynn. Thanks for coming over here. And uh, we look forward to hearing about more of those uh, new developments with uh, the Army's relationship to Mission Command. It's my pleasure. And we welcome your feedback. Please write us at usarmy.lovenworth.tradoc.mbx.amsc-podcast at mail.mail, or you can just write us at amscpodcast at gmail.com.